I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. There has been a firestorm of confusion around what should be a fundamental pillar of your retire sooner journey. And instead of the American public having clarity around a number that is so important that it dictates almost every single piece of your retirement planning. Unfortunately, the opposite is true. There is now a great debate and none other than Dave Ramsey has climbed into the ring on this one. And now there's a firestorm. It's a firestorm around the 4% rule. And in that same ring, you've got Dave Ramsey, you've got Susie Orman, you've got the Wall Street Journal, you've got William Bengen, you've got Wade Fu, you've got me. We're all in there. It's like a battle royale over a number that we should just all agree on. And that's your withdrawal rate. This debate is around how much you should really be allowed to use your own money. Today, here on the Retire Sooner podcast, welcome Mallory, producer here. Thanks. Hi. I'm I'm so excited to dive into this because it has really dominated our headlines in the recent months. Yeah, it really has. And it's it's it started in the summer of 2023 when none other than Susie Orman came out and said you can only take 3%, 4% scary and dangerous. And then... Morningstar published something that said, ah, the 4% rule's back. The Wall Street Journal put their stamp on it. And then Dave Ramsey, I don't know if he accidentally said this, but he was pretty emphatic about it. said, you should be able to use 8% of your money in any given year and never run out. And just the internet exploded. It's like a, it's like an atomic, this is a nuclear event within the financial planning world. Well, it's so crazy to me because this is the number that everybody should consistently be planning for. And then we just get all this back and forth. How are you it's, supposed to like confidently withdraw your retirement savings? The, the 4% rule is it's treated so poorly. And, and it's such an important rule because it, it, it encompasses, and again, we're talking about, there's there's really kind of two things I'm talking about here. One, th- your withdrawal rate in general. That is so critical that whatever number you set on that, that's it, it, fun. You've got to have, there shouldn't be a big debate around that. You should lock that in, understand why you're using it because it's it really impacts all of your of your planning. But it's hard to do that when you hear me here on the Retire Center podcast saying the 4% plus rule. And then you hear other financial folks and media outlets saying, no, that's way too much and oh, it should Su- be three. Susie Orman. Susie Orman. On her private island. <laughs> that's true. She does have a private island, supposedly. And and then you've got Ramsey, who's who's great. He I, I think that he's... You have to respect that man. He has... Helped a lot of people. Yeah, I think he's helped a lot of people. I think he is very good at what he does. So, and actually there is some merit to why he has this much higher rate of return that he talked about to a a live call in on his show recently, which we'll get to that story in just a second. But here's why your withdrawal rate is so important. One, it dictates how much 
you need to save every year. And that's a 30-year, 40-year journey. Your withdrawal rate dictates what kind of rate of return you need to get on your overall savings to, to hit your goals. Ultimately, your withdrawal rate dictates how much you can pull out from your investments, right? It's, a, it's all about being able to max out what you pull out of your investments without running out. Your withdrawal rate dictates how you should invest, what your asset allocation should be. If you assume a higher withdrawal rate, you may only be able to achieve that if you're 100% in riskier assets. Lower withdrawal rate, maybe you can stay in CDs. Your withdrawal rate dictates how, how much psychological stock you can you put into what your savings is every year over time. And then it dictates how much confidence you have in not running out of money for the rest of your life. Your withdrawal rate also should take into account how much you'll be able to increase your withdrawals from your investment assets for inflation. And then, of course, when. It very much helps dictate when you're able to stop working in, in your overall retirement plan. So, it's, And that's just off the top of my head. I'm sure there's others. It's a lot. It, it's a big deal. It seems like this is a really foundational piece for any kind of retirement plan. You can't really have a retirement plan without knowing how much you'll need to pull out of the account every year. Exactly. And there's confusion around it. I've found articles that say 3% is the number, 4% is the number, 4% is not the number, 4 to 6%. There's just another Morningstar piece about this, 4 to 6%. And then, of course, the big... Headline event is Ramsey coming in and saying you should be able to take 8%. No wonder everybody's so confused. These are all well-listened to, well-known, well-respected, either people that have been doing this for a long time and media outlets that cover this every day. Well, and very smart individuals who clearly know what they're doing. It's, it's definitely people that I personally have a lot of respect for. And, and really, they all have a point. And none of them are completely wrong in everything they're saying. So there's a case for all of this. I think it's important to understand these cases because let's start here. Fundamentally, you got to decide on a rate because of all the reasons we just listed, first of all. Oh, Sec wait, can I run through those again really quick? Because sure. I thought that was I feel like really you're already writing an article about this. I, yes. <laughs> you're jotting it. Oh, wait, wait. Okay. <laughs> well, it's just, it's one of those things you you realizing how much goes into it. I mean, how much you need to save, the return rate that you need, how much you can actually pull out of your account, how to invest based on risk and return, the psychological stock that you can put onto it, the confidence of not running out of money, accounting for inflation, which the Lord knows we're... We're talking about all the time on here. And then even, I mean, at the end of the day, the biggest one, right? When you can when? retire. Yeah. So it's that number moves the meter big time on all of that. So you got to have confidence in it. And the 4% rule has been to some extent the, the gold standard when, when William Bangan came out with his body of work right around early 1990s. And it has been the gold standard. However, it gets treated really poorly because and I, I think of it, I, I don't know, I was walking in, in Midtown and this week and I was thinking as I was reading these stories, I'm thinking it's, it's almost like they're treating the rule like a terrible 
a, a terrible dog owner. It's like you go in, it's like, oh, we, we want a puppy. Here's the puppy. We're going to bring the puppy home and we love the puppy. We're cuddled up with the puppy. But then we get tired of it because it gets into the trash or it pees in the carpet and you, well, get rid of the puppy, kick the puppy out, it's gone. And then the Wall Street Journal comes back and says, oh no, we missed the puppy. It works again. Bring the puppy back. Okay. And then interest rates go down a little bit. And then the next thing you know, get rid of the puppy. Oh, wait a minute. We missed the puppy. Bring it back. And that's this back and forth. Yes, we love it. No, we hate it. Yes, we love it. No, we hate it. Back and forth ping pong, which is, you just don't do that when you adopt a puppy. You bring the, you bring the puppy home for life. And the 4% rule in my mind, is that same thing. It's not something that's willy-nilly, yes, I like it one day, no. It, because it is a, it's something that is supposed to last the test of time and help you determine what you're able to live on for the rest of your life. This is not a fly-by-night rule. This is not a willy-nilly rule. This is something we need to understand and have some real backing behind it. A quick refresher, the way the 4% rule works or 4% plus rule, take your starting retirement balance, million, let's call it a million dollars. Year one, you take 4% of that, let's call it $40,000. And then that dollar number is your figure that then gets adjusted by whatever inflation is in any given year. So if we have a 10% inflation, your four your $40,000 jumps to 44,000 and that's the new number. And then if we have... 0% inflation the next year, it stays at 44. If we have 1% inflation, it goes up by 1%. And that, it, it stair-step climbs over time. And again, we said on your list, it, it somewhat dictates what your overall asset allocation should be. And in Bengen's original research, and part of the reason you're able to increase for inflation over time, is having at least 50% in stocks. 50 to 70% in equities, the other... 50, 40, 30% in fixed income. So put that all together and that's how the 4% rule works and is aimed towards protecting your purchasing power. The reason we study it is we want to give a probability or understand what probability I have that I'm able to do that, utilize my money at that rate plus inflation and not run out over 30, 40, 50 years. I feel like that's always the biggest question with retirement is how do I, one, save enough for retirement? And then I feel like the, but one of the most difficult things is figuring out how to withdraw that money in a way where you can confidently feel like you will not run out of money. Because I think I think losing an income source and moving to living off of savings has got to be one of the scariest transitions it's, people make in life. It's very scary. It's, it's scary for anybody. So you want to have, you want to really understand why you're able to create this new paycheck out of this XYZ number all over the map in the industry as low as three as high as eight. Here we're saying no why it's at four. Now even I probably make it more confusing than it needs to be because and but I purposely don't give it an exact number because it it is not an exact rule it is a rule of thumb. So I think it's important to say 4% plus because it really is anywhere from 4 to 4.5% and should be able to be adjusted in any given year, meaning that it's a dynamic role. Some years you may want to take a little less than 4. Some years, and depending on how things go in the market, both the stock market and the bond market, you may be able to take more than that in any given year or a lot more than that. There are, there are periods of time in history, and I call this the Buffett zone, where if you're following this rule, 
you hit a good stretch of of market returns, the money lasts essentially for infinity. It just it doesn't run out, and it grows and grows and grows. And we have some examples that over the course of eighty some years, your hundred turned your your million turns into a hundred plus million. Now that likely doesn't happen because then you adjust because life is dynamic and we all adjust over time. So it's a guide and it's kind of, it's home. We're always, if we go beyond it, we want to come back to that 4% home. If we feel as though we want to scrimp a little bit and spend less in any given year, bad market stretch, then we come back home to the 4%. So that's, that's our center, if you will, for those who out there who meditate, even though I don't know, is that right? You, you do this. I, I love I'm a sorry, good meditation. Yoga? Where do I center? Where do I go back? It's that, you know, we all of the, the yoga, the meditation, I like to do it all. Let's be very clear. It keeps me balanced. Back keeps into me, center. Okay. Back into center. So a little, um, <laughs> that's what we're trying for here. Thinking about retirement in 2024? Well, you're not alone, and I've got just the thing to help guide you on your journey. What the happiest retirees know. My most recent book that shares the 10 habits of the happiest retirees. Meant to help you land at a place where work becomes optional. For a limited time, get 25% off at westmossbooks.com. Simply use the promo code OURTREAT, all one word, at checkout. That's wesmossbooks.com. So Ramsey, who is great, gets a call into a show from, I think, Jay in Kansas City. He says, look, I've got $120,000. And according to one of the guys you work with, Dave, and I think there's some other financial people that publish content on his site as well. He said, but but I know that so-and-so on your team says we can only use 3%. So I'm planning on 3%. In, in the future. And Ramsey, you can see his face. He, he goes blank. Oh, he, the rage, the rage that comes. I love whenever Dave Ramsey gets mad, I will say a guilty pleasure of mine. And yeah. I, I watch this on YouTube. Phenomenal. I think if you just search like Ramsey 8%, it'll pop he gets, up. But. He's visibly, and it's not that rare that this happens for him, but he is visibly pissed so, right out of the gate. So upset. Well, it's interesting because you, never, minute, you never see anybody. like he, He's so upset at his own team even. He's just like, we're taking that video down. Because if we put up that, he's like that crap, you know, his his Tennessee whatever accent. Like, we put up that crap, we need to take it down. And I didn't realize until I listened to it carefully that it was actually somebody on his team that, that put that video up. And again, kind of a big deal to not, for kind of a big deal because it's a really important number. So Ramsey gets pissed about it. He's like, wait a minute, you can't, 3% is rubbish. It's ridiculous. It doesn't sound like he spent a whole lot of time on this, but little does he know, just a few months ago, Susie Orman said the same thing. You can only use 3%. So there's other people out there saying it. No, instead, he takes the pendulum all the way to the other side. And he goes, I, and he says, I'm perfectly comfortable, to, this is to Jay from Kansas City, withdrawing 8% a year. I don't think I've ever heard somebody throw out a number that high. Never 8%. heard anybody say that. No. He, he said, these are just, this, I'm just quote, quoting him. If you're making 12% in, quote, good mutual funds, and the S&P's averaging 11.8, and inflation is... 4%, then you're making 12 minus four, eights left over every year. You should be able to take that. If you want to be a little bit more conservative, take seven. But sure, not five or three. 
And then he goes on to say all these, the people that are saying this crap, all, all the goobers out there who've put this 4% crap in the market, maybe 5%, it's too low. So he actually, he's he's railing against the 4% rule. He, he is hating on it so hard. And he really obviously can't stand the 3% rule. So no wonder he's, you know, his blood pressure's going through the roof here. But I understand why he's so mad about this because when you lower that number, f- four in itself is, oh, it does, doesn't make it easy. Because again, it's only 40000 per million dollars you're saving. So what Ramsey is essentially saying is you're already scrimping by, and if it's at three, next thing you know, it's going to go down to two. Now we're going in the wrong direction here. And then you get to the point where it's almost too much work and it's not. And at that point, the juice you're getting out is not worth the squeeze, the effort you spend 30, 40 years saving money, right? If I could only use two and a half percent, get 25 grand out of every million, then then he's right in that it almost stops people in its tracks. And like, what's the point? I'm going to YOLO from now on. I'm not going to have the discipline and the effort to save all this money because I can, if I can't really use it, if it's going to run out and if I only use two or 3%, then the way I've looked at it is this whole what's the point can have a negative impact for just the whole psyche of people saving money to begin with. So it's, it's what his point is that it's dangerous if you're starting to flirt with these numbers that are too low because you get people to give up before they get started. I will say it, it kind of comes back to what we've discussed many times on here, which is just that finances are so much more about psychology and peace of mind and having that psychological confidence in, in your investments and your withdrawal rate. And it's, it's That's a great point. Market performance is not necessarily the driving factor sometimes in people's decisions. Well, it's one big factor, but you also have to have a confidence around all the other pieces. You're right. You can't go into this with your understanding of how it's all working, kind of flap it in the wind. It doesn't work. Again, so I, so I got to say, I like Ramsey's optimism here. But if you're thinking about a withdrawal rate that's that high, those numbers just don't work well enough. There's just not that high of a probability that it would that, that money would last over 30 years. It's not impossible. And there are certainly periods, there are periods of time, if you were 100% in stocks, you could catch a good market cycle and, and it could work. And I'm going to go through those numbers in a minute. But a, a couple points of clarification. Even though the stock market has the average rate of return in any given year is about 12%. That's not as relevant. It's a, it's a good guide, but the number that really matters here is the average annual compounded rate of return. And those numbers are different. So if you go back and look at, if you choose 30, 40, 50 year chunks of time, it's, it's really hard to ever, to, to find a period that long that ever gets to an annualized 12% rate of return. Most of the time you're, you're looking at 10, 10 and a half, 11, slightly more than 11, but it's really hard to find, or at least I haven't found the right combination of years where you're, that's a really long period that's been a full 12. It's it's interesting. I feel like that's one of the most confusing pieces when you start talking about investments and returns is figuring out how to really measure them because it's one of those things that everything's always rolling and people have 
different ways that they're calculating things. And different it's, time periods. Oh, look at, yeah, yeah. You look at the different time periods and there's no telling. You look so. at a 10-year stretch in the 2000s that essentially, or right after 1999, where markets were essentially flat for mostly a decade. So you put that in and you look at a 15-year period, it, it skews the numbers dramatically. But I'm look, I wanted to look at really long periods of time. So first of all, I'd say saying 12 is, is too high to maybe start with. Number one. Number two, I'm a believer in having some balance, particularly when you're in retirement, so that I, I absolutely believe in stocks. And I think it should be the majority of the portfolio, but it doesn't mean there shouldn't be a significant portion for ballast, safety, steadiness, income, and that would be that would be fixed income. So I'm a believer in a balance approach, particularly in retirement. I think if you're 20, 30, even 40s, 100% equities is can, is completely fine, provided you're okay with the, the yo-yo of values and the risk that comes along with that. But there are very few ways to, to get to the double-digit rates of return unless you're vast majority equities. Well, I'm all about some equities, especially at a younger age, but I do remember just working here and with capital during the the COVID crisis with the markets, how important it was for so many of the retirees that were here and having that dry powder. And we would talk about that so often. And so it's returns sound really great whenever the market's going great, but it's, it's amazing to see just that comfort that so many people have whenever they have that dry powder in their portfolio. Right. And it doesn't mean that you want to curl up in a ball and always have everything in safety. We've proven that historically, you're going to run out of money most quickly if you're reinvesting in CDs every year. And you're, if you're trying to take withdrawals and increase them for inflation, the quickest way to run out over time is to invest only in CDs and only in dry powder. So it really it goes back to having a balance. But the real horsepower in the engine, at least over time, through price appreciation and the growth of dividends, and even just looking at the S&P 500, put those two together, price increases plus dividends, that's what's really helping protect your purchasing power. And that's what makes any of these rules really work. We do love dividends. <laughs> we do love dividends. Even better, growing dividends. Yeah. So right out of the gate saying 12, I think that's, when you're assuming for planning purposes, you're always being more conservative anyway. You don't want to say, well, let's find the best stretch and we're going to count on that. That doesn't, that doesn't really work. Now, when he says good mutual funds are quote good, we know that he likes American funds. So this group that he called, he called super nerds. So the super nerds with their calculators in their parents' basement is what he said. They said, sure, you're going to call super nerds. We're going to embrace it. We're going to show you why this doesn't work. So they took a collection of stock mutual funds from American funds. They found pretty good, some of the better ones that had a 12% rate of return since inception and said, great, let's put your million dollars in, in this collection of all stock mutual funds from his favorite fund company. I don't know if it's a favorite, but he, I know that he's, he's known to be partial to that fund family and let's see if it works. And lo and behold, very simply, if you start with 8%, but 80 grand from a million, year one, it grows to over 100,000 10 years later because of inflation or so. And guess what? Because you had two bear markets in a, in a relatively short period of time, that 
hypothetical inv that investor scenario historically runs out of money in 13 years. That's bad. That's a very short retirement. And that was the quote, the super nerds who were punching back after Ramsey kind of ripped these guys. To be clear, I always trust a, a nerd with a calculator when it comes to numbers. <laughs> <laughs> so I think if you change it to the 8% rule, I think you're to some extent on a crash course. Running the numbers over the course of history, we're going back to 1927. So we didn't just cherry pick a tough time in the market. We looked at all scenarios. If you're using an 8% withdrawal rate, and you're using 100% stocks, S&P 500, and you're assuming what he said, a 4% inflation number, then only 42% of the time, money lasts more than 30 years. So you have almost a 60% failure rate if you're, if you're using that. Doesn't mean it doesn't work. So I'm, I'm not saying Ramsey's totally wrong, but that's not a rule you want to bank on. It's not even at 50%. Now, I, I have a rule of thumb. If the weather tells me there's a 50% or more chance of rain, I take an umbrella. Mm, that's funny. I, I don't. I always think, oh, it's probably not going to rain. Really? Yeah. Uh, it's it's because I did some outdoor events for a while. And so I got really good at reading the weather. I was like, ooh, 50%. It's going to well, sprinkle at some point. I guess it depends. I mean, if you're going to work, you're always in your car and you're under... If I'm going to a lacrosse tournament, you're right. And, and it's going to be, I'm going to be outside for two days. I, I agree. I, I'm going to take a number out. All right. So now if you use 8% withdrawal rate, 100% stocks and actual CPI over the course of history, it does a little better. You have a 52% success rate. Money lasts in more than 30 years. Still, it's like a flip of a coin. Now, the way we run this one, this next one is it also gives you another layer of insight that I like. 8% withdrawal rate, 100% stocks, and then zero CPI. So you're taking 80 and you're not going to increase it for inflation. You're still taking 80 every year. How long does money last that way with an 8% withdrawal rate over the course of history? I'm going to guess this one lasts for... Mm, what percent of the time does it, does it not run out for at least 30 years? Okay, I'm going to guess for this one, 70% of the time. Close. It's it, it's about it's eighty. Oh wow! So and it was just shows you it takes a a forty percent or a fifty percent success rate all the way up to eighty. Wow, that's how big of a deal inflation is. So if you take the inflation insidiousness of inflation out of zero, you're not ratcheting your your withdrawals out for the cost of living. Then eight percent isn't that crazy. The problem is we don't live we don't live in a world where there's no inflation. We just did for a couple of years. We did for a little but while. But unfortunately, we got a crash course that it is back. So what's the answer? So the 8% thing just doesn't cut it. It's too much. It'd be nice if we could, though. It'd be nice. <laughs> Wade, Wade Fu, or Fow, I still don't know. He's every t ever told me how to pronounce the name. I, I feel like whenever it first it's came out, we said Fow. P-F-A-U. Wade I feel like it's Fow. Nope, nope, silent P. Foul. I'm pretty it's sure it's Wade Foul. He's vampirishly low. Yeah. At three. He's 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 dashing one's hopes and dreams. So they they don't even save anything. So I think that's the wrong way. And guess what? Like like most great debates in world history, the answer is somewhere right in the middle. So it's the four percent plus rule. Bengen's original body of work was right. 
the 4% rule, I think, was right. And remember, a few years ago, he upped it to 4.5% because he's saying if you include small caps, which is a diversified portfolio of not just large, but also small cap equities have done even better than large cap stocks over time, that, that we're able to get to this 4.5 number. And again, his numbers, his numbers are right. So really, it's a range. And it's really about always coming back to that 4 to 5% range. That's why it's a 4% plus rule of thumb. We redid Bang & Study. We've re-upped it. We re did it in 2017. We did it in 2020, 21. We've done it every year. We keep re-upping the study. And here, here's, here's where it shakes out. And by the way, in, in Excel, it helps to pick a number. When you're running these num when you're running the analytics, you, you really want to pick a number. So we pick four and a quarter withdrawal rate, 60% stocks, 40% bonds, actual CPI, actual bond returns, and stock returns. We went back and got the data from Robert Schiller's Yale School of Management. And utilizing that, starting back in 1927, retiring at any given every single month, restarting your retirement, running those scenarios, what percentage of the time? Does the money last at least 30 years? I love this study, so I think I have a guess at 96% of the time. 95% of the time. Mm, I'm just a little too optimistic. I think you're thinking if you run it at four, uh, only yes. 4%, it, it's even higher. So mm. and I, guess I what? like those odds personally. 81% of the time, money lasts for more than 45 years. So you retire at 60, that gets you to... 105. That's some pretty serious planning. And guess what? 74% of the time money lasts for greater than 50 years. And we get into this almost infinity Buffett zone when that happens, because there are, there are many periods throughout economic and market history where you get a good run of returns early on and your portfolio gets so big, so quick that it's the 4% chunk just doesn't hurt it. You know, what's great is that could always be the next run in the next few years. You're so optimistic. I know. All right. And here's why, even though the market is average, let's call it 11. Why taking eight doesn't work. Now, because inflation really hasn't averaged four. It's been more like three. So eight plus three, 8% withdrawal, 3% inflation is 11. The market's average 11. So why does why why would money run out over time? Well, of course, the simple answer is the market doesn't work as an escalator. It's not slowly going up by 11% per year. We, it's feast or famine. You get 20, up 25%, down 10. Up 35%, down 20%. So the market works in these, in a fee, to some extent, a feast or famine way if you're looking at any given year. And guess what? You need money every year. The markets over, over long periods of time have averaged that 11% number that, that always gets quoted. But it comes down to something called sequence of return risk. It's when I'm getting my returns as opposed to my average rate of return. Connor Miller from the Money Matters team did this. It was an amazing way to look at this. Million dollar portfolio, investor withdrawals 5% from the year 2000 to the year 2020. Exactly $50,000 a year invested in the S&P 500. 
their age really doesn't matter. It's really the year. It's the year 2000 all the way to the year 2020. The average compounded rate of return over that 20-year period is a little over 8%. It's 8.19%. And at the end of that period of time, again, you're, it's a million dollars. You take 50 grand out every single year. We're not adjusting for inflation. Average rate of return, 8.19%. The balance, your million is now worth 404000 So it's gotten cut in more than half in 20 years. Now let's look at this in reverse. So here's what I mean by that. Same exact annual rates of return, just turned upside down. So... As an example, the first year in the in the our original in our original table was down nine percent, and our last return in the year twenty twenty was up eighteen point four. So oh. you just flip them. So we say our first year we got eighteen point four, and our last year we got nine point one. Okay, so it's like you're almost like randomizing, but you're taking no, no not randomizing. I'm literally, if you think of the rates of return as a ladder, mm -hmm. I'm taking a a rod in the center of the ladder. There's a rate of return on each one from 2000 to 2020. And I'm flipping the ladder on its head. Okay. And the bottom is at the top. The top is now at the bottom. Okay. So guess what? What's my average rate of return? If I flip the returns. Because before it was 8.1. 8.19. 8 8.19. So I'm going to, I'm going to assume that it's going to be similar and I'm going to say it's 8.19 again. It's exactly the same. Really? It's 8.19. It's exact same 20 years of return. It's just flipped flipped upside down. Math is exactly the same, right? Here's what's so important. First example, left with 400, a little over 400,000. How much am I left with now? Oh, oh. If I get if I get those same returns but just got them in reverse. Well, so it seems like the logical answer would be 400,000, which was it was before. 2.4 million. That is not the same. <laughs> is, See, it, it sounds like it's almost random. How, how, what, what is the difference? It's because in the first example, the first three years were really bad. So you started out in a hole, in a hole immediately because of your market return and you were taking your $50,000. But the last three years, 18, 19, and 20 were down four, up 31, up 18. So we flipped the ladder upside down. So our first three years in the second example are really good. The first one is 18. The second year is 31 and a half. And then you get that minus 4.4. But you've already boosted the portfolio right out of the gate. So exact same average rate of return, two totally different numbers because of the sequence of when we got those returns. It's called sequence of return risk. And that's why the super nerds pointed out that using that 8% withdrawal rate starting in a really bad time, 2000, money ran out really quickly. By again, taking this great debate from the pendulum is on one side, it's under 3%. On one side, it's all the way to eight. Guess what? The, the What I think the right answer is, and it's a lot less bombastic, is somewhere in the middle, four to four and a half that's why we call it the 4% plus rule of thumb. These debates are fun. It's great to see these people argue and yell at each other. It's fun for me to talk about. Mallory, you were awesome today. Thank you for being here. But in the end, I hope today gives you that confidence that, look, if you're planning in that range that we talked about, the 4% plus rule, 
you should feel pretty darn good that you're able to max out what you're taking out without running out. Hey, y'all, this is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This information is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. There is no guaranteed offer that investment return, yield, or performance will be achieved. Stock prices fluctuate, sometimes rapidly and dramatically, due to factors affecting individual companies, particular industries or sectors, or general market conditions. For stocks paying dividends, dividends are not guaranteed and can increase, decrease, or be eliminated without notice. Fixed income securities involve interest rate, credit, inflation, and reinvestment risks and possible loss of principal. As interest rates rise, the value of fixed income securities falls. Past performance is not indicative of future results when considering any investment vehicle. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. Investment decisions should not be based solely on information contained here. This information is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment, tax, estate, or financial planning considerations or decisions. The information contained here is strictly an opinion and it is not known whether the strategies will be successful. The views and opinions expressed are for educational purposes only as of the date of production and may change without notice at any time based on numerous factors such as market and other conditions.